Rocky Peak, it's great to be with you. My name is Michael, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. If we haven't had a chance to meet, uh, hopefully we can do that in the near future. But I want to welcome you to our service this weekend. We're going to be going into our time of teaching today as we talk about kind of August Unleashed and some things that Dre was just uh, talking about. And so if you haven't uh, downloaded the, the message note sheet, you'll definitely want to do that because we'll be using that today. But uh, if you're ready to go, I'm going to pray and we're going to jump in. Let's, uh, let's go. So, Father, we're just so thankful to be here in your place, uh, underneath your leadership, uh, looking to you for the future of our church. God, we're just so excited that you are our Lord and our leader. God, we're just so thankful as a church. It's not our job to create a vision and ask you to bless it. It's, It's your job to download, to deliver a vision and for us to carry it out. And so, Father, as we talk about what does it look like to listen and follow as a church as we enter into this new segment of this journey, we just pray that you'd be with us in a powerful way. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, our story starts late at night. And uh, he's been tossing and turning for the last couple hours. You know how this goes. He'd actually gotten to bed early because he knows tomorrow's a big day. And he wants to be ready. That even though he's gotten to bed early, he can't seem to find sleep. As he tosses and turns, his mind goes back over time. It drifts back through the years, back to the early years of their friendship, back to the very first time they met. He'll never forget that day, how their friendship grew over the years, how he recruited this friend later on to join him as part of a leadership team and and how they developed together. But none of that had really prepared him for what had happened today and for this new assignment that he and his friend had been given. And Simon, as he looks to the future, it's uncertain. He's not sure exactly what it's going to involve. He knows it's going to be predictable. And two things he knows for sure. One is that it's going to be incredibly exciting, but the second, very dangerous. Little does he know that this assignment that he's just received is going to change the course of the history of the world. Well, today we are continuing this series that we've been in now for quite a while, last couple months, called The Resurrected King, Spiritual Warfare in Times of Challenge. And if you're new, this is a series about spiritual warfare, as the title would suggest. One of the things we've been learning is that when a man or woman comes to Jesus, we, we cross an invisible line in the unseen realm. We cross over from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and that we enter into a new level of spiritual warfare with a set of enemies that are very real, that are very powerful, that are strategic, and are bent on destroying us. And so throughout this series, we've been going back to this key passage, it's sort of the, the core passage of the series. It's in the, a, letter, uh, a letter from the Apostle Paul to uh, a group of Christ followers in and around the ancient metropolis of Ephesus, the very final chapter, where Paul shares that that as followers of Jesus, we're in this spiritual war, that we're against these enemies that are bright, strategic, that are powerful, that if we wanna win, that we're going to have to tap into the power of our resurrected king who has conquered the power of the dark side on the cross, uh, and then we're gonna have to put on the full armor of God. And there on your note sheet, I put a key verse in this passage that I wanna start our journey with today. It's uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13, 
where Paul says, therefore, put on the full armor of God. Since we're in this battle, we need to put on the full armor of God so that when the, and I want you to underline this, the day of evil comes. So I want you to highlight or underline, circle that phrase, the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. And so what Paul is saying, and we've touched on this lightly before in this series, is that in, a, in the spiritual warfare, that much like in physical battle, physical warfare, that, there, that not all days are created equal. So if you're in the military, or maybe you've done a lot of reading, uh, or you've just kind of watched a lot of film, a, a wartime kind of topics, one of the things you know is that uh, when you're in a war, uh, much of the time is spent waiting, much of the time is spent preparing, that not every day is a big battle. Um, but there are, there are certain days when either you launch an attack or the enemy launches an attack. And, and when that happens, the enemy's kind of raging, uh, you need to be prepared when that time comes. And that's what Paul is saying in this. Not, not every day in the unseen realm, not every day in the spiritual battle is, uh, is a major attack. But he says, but when that day of evil comes, you need to be ready to go. You need to be tapped into the resurrected King Jesus. You need to have your full armor on. It's too late to get ready when that day comes. And I don't know about you, but I've sensed ever since the start of COVID that we are in one of those evil days. I believe it's why God has called us as a church, really to my surprise, that that he's called us to be in this series on spiritual warfare because the battle in the unseen is raging. And if we're going to win during this time, we need to understand how it works, how to tap into the power of our resurrected king and how to put on our full armor. And it's really in this context that a little over a month ago, I felt like the Lord was calling me to begin to pursue him the season of a special fasting as well as prayer. Now, in my relationship with the Lord, and I'm not saying this is right for everyone, but, but the Lord and I have an agreement, is that uh, I, I had made this agreement with him over 40 years ago, literally, that uh, if he ever wanted me to fast, that I would fast, but that I would never fast unless he called me to fast. And uh, over the last 40 years, he's been very faithful to that agreement, that covenant, And uh, there's been many times where he's called me to fast uh, that have been very significant times in my spiritual life. But that kind of sets the stage for this came out of the blue, that a little over a month ago, that when I felt like the Lord was beginning to call me to fast uh, on a weekly basis in order to be prepared and spiritually alert uh, for the spiritual war that we're in to lead well Uh, for our church and our culture. And so I initially started with one day a week uh, fasting, and then I felt like the Lord called me to start fasting two days a week. And uh, it's in that context that uh, a couple weeks ago, a little bit more, two and a half weeks ago, it was a Wednesday morning, uh, and I was just spending time with the Lord like I do really every morning. But really, out of the blue, I felt like he gave me the next step for our church in this season of COVID. And if I had to describe it in a nutshell, it would be a month of fasting, prayer, and worship, uh, where we'd seek him together. It's what, we, what is developed now, what we're calling August Unleashed. And what I want to do today is share with you a little bit about that 
And I want to share with you four of the top priorities that I believe God is calling us together as a church to pursue him. So catch this, we've been talking about spiritual warfare, but now we want to engage as a church in this month of fasting and prayer and worship to engage in spiritual warfare to prepare us for the future and the calling he has on us. And so there in your note sheet, there's a section called Unleashed Spiritual Warfare in Times of Challenge. And to get at this, I wanna give you one key word for each of the four priorities that at least at the start of the month, we're gonna begin pursuing the Lord for. There may be more as we go through. So let's jump in. The first word, the first priority is we're gonna be, we're gonna be praying, we're gonna be fasting, we're gonna be seeking the Lord for direction. So obviously, we're in a season where we need God's direction as a church. Uh, we, we need it in a variety of ways, but one of the most important ways is what is God's vision for our church in terms of reopening our campus, whether it's our weekend services or even our other ministries, uh, whether they're on the weekend or throughout the week. Now, one of the core values here at Rocky Peak, and if you've been here any length of time, you know this, is that we believe that vision comes from the Lord. And that it's not our job as a leadership team to create a vision and ask God to bless it. It's our job to receive a vision from the Lord and then carry it out. And so the question is, what is God's vision? And not only for reopening our campus, but catch this, this is so easy to miss. This is at least as important, if not, but what does it look like to carry out the vision he's given us as a church to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers in these new circumstances that we find ourselves in in our culture with COVID? Now, it's an interesting thing because here in America, in the American church, that we tend to see church in terms of a building and we tend to see real church as what happens in that building on the weekend. So large group public services in a large auditorium, we tend to see that as church. But I think you know that that has not always been the case. In fact, in the early church, uh, in Acts chapter two, when the church was born, Peter gave his first sermon on Pentecost. 3,000 people came to Jesus, they're baptized that as the early church was born, we're told that they met daily uh, in the large temple courts there in Jerusalem uh, for teaching, for prayer, for fellowship, and so on. And so the, the temple courts were massive. Uh, the temple complex, which was more like a fortress than a church, was three football fields long on one side, five football fields on the other side. Scholars tell us that during high holy days, it could probably hold 100,000 people. And so there were these kind of large patios, covered uh, colonnade patios, big Roman kind of pillars and so on, that would house thousands and thousands of people. And so when the, when the first church started, this was just like their ready-made church. And so we're told that, that they would gather daily in this large temple courts, but also they'd meet together in their homes. So, but however, this was a short-term situation. Because by the time we get to Acts chapter eight, which is probably a year or two later, we're not sure the exact time frame, but it's not very long later, uh, due to persecution, the early church has to flee for its lives. And here's what I want you to catch. From that point on, 
we never have one example in the rest of the book of Acts or the whole, a whole New Testament of the early church meeting together on a weekend as a large group. And what we know from history is the early church didn't have large buildings. Uh, they didn't, they were, they were illegal. In fact, uh, according to archeologists, they'll tell us that the first, the first, the earliest churches that we know of that were built, that were large churches where people could gather on a weekend was not until over 200 years after the death of Christ. And so where did the early church meet? Well, it met in homes, right? As we've talked about before. And it's by meeting in a home, gathering in homes in smaller settings that the early church grew and thrived and took over the Roman Empire. And so it's in this setting that we wanna be seeking the Lord as a church. What does it look like to be your church in this season of COVID? Do you want us to meet back on campus? Do you want us to meet inside? On the weekends, do you want to be outside on the weekends? Uh, do you want us to meet uh, uh, in buildings or out in tents? Do you want us to meet in, in homes? Like, what's your vision? And here's what I want you to catch. The question is not what Shepherd is doing. The question is not what Grace is doing. The question is, what is God's vision for the church at Rocky Peak? And so, and at a larger scale, it's not just about whether we meet on weekends or when we meet on weekends or where, it's about how do we carry out the vision Jesus has given us? Because the vision never has changed. The vision is to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers who are pursuing God, who are loving others, who are serving sacrificially, we're sharing Christ. The question is, how do we do that in this next season? What is God's vision for our church? And you know, this is, uh, this is not a new situation for the church of Jesus. This whole COVID situation is a new, new situation for us and for churches and pastors and leadership teams to figure out, hey, what does it look like to be the church? But this is not a new situation in the history of the church. For example, if you think with me, we've already talked about the early church, right, and how they did church, so different than we do church. But you know, throughout church history, when during times of persecution, there have been many times when the church of Jesus around the world can't meet in large public places. Like when, communists, when the communists took over China, the Christians, Christianity became illegal. Right? Christians couldn't meet together in large setting publicly. They had to go underground and talk about not being able to sing. Right? They had to whisper oftentimes. And yet under these very challenging situations, the movement of Jesus grew and expanded to where the communist world began opening up in the 80s. The world was blown away as the church of Jesus had grown and thrived and multiplied many times over. So the question that we're seeking the Lord on, the reason we're fasting and prayer is, is not just, hey, when do we open up? How do we open up? What kind of real buildings, insight? The question is much bigger. The question is, Jesus, you've given us your vision to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers. Now, how do you want us to do that in a wide variety of ways in this new season? So that's number one. We're gonna be praying, worshiping, seeking the Lord, fasting, for his direction. Now, number two, the second key word, the second key priority that we're going to be 
seeking the Lord for with fasting and prayer, worship this month, is for repentance. Now, I don't know about you, but I am deeply concerned over the direction of our country and our culture. It feels like we're coming unglued. As close. And honestly, I, I believe that we're reaping what we've sown for 60 years, for the last past 60 years of big picture ideologies. We've talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago. We talked about spiritual warfare in the realm of ideas. I call it warfare at the highest level. And one of the, the primary ways that the enemy destroys cultures and destroys the world is through deception in the realm of big picture ideas. I think we're seeing that as a culture, as our culture comes unraveled right now. As we talked about a couple weeks ago, it's spiritual, sexual, and social chaos and confusion. And so I don't know about you, but I'm deeply concerned for the future of our country and our culture. And, and I believe God is calling us as a church to stand with him and to stand in the gap for the sake of our country. But here's the thing. This is not a new concept. You know, throughout the na- history of the nation of Israel, there were many times when the nation had walked, have gone far from God and God would proclaim a fast for the people. He would call the nation together to pursue him and to truly repent, not just with a sackcloth and ashes on the outside tearing their clothes as a sign of grieving, but but uh, with a rending of their hearts, a true return to God. There in your note sheet, we have an example from the time of the prophet Joel. And uh, this was a time when Israel was far from God. And as a result, God's judgment was bearing down on them like a, like a heavy 18-wheeler coming full of, of destruction. But God commanded the prophet to declare a fast. And he says in Joel chapter one, there in your note sheet, Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Get everyone together. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of Yahweh, Lord, all caps, Yahweh, to the house of Yahweh, your God, and cry out to the Lord. What do we cry out? We're crying out for mercy. We're calling out for forgiveness. We're calling out for his leadership. In Joel chapter two, he goes on, even now declares Yahweh, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and mourning. Rend your heart, not just your garments. Return to Yahweh your God. And catch this, he quotes from Moses. When Moses met the Lord on Mount Sinai in Exodus 33 and 34, this is a quote of of what, how God revealed himself to Moses. He said, for he is gracious and he's compassionate and he's slow to anger and he's abounding in love and he relents in sending calamity. And who knows? Joel says, who knows? I know things are bad. I know it looks like we're on a one-way ticket to hell. He says, but who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. I believe the church of Jesus in our country needs to rise up and we need to go to the Lord on behalf of our culture and we need to pray for God's forgiveness and that God would send a spirit of repentance to our nation 
that at a core level, there would be a turning back to God that would allow his blessing to return to our nation. But here's the thing. The reality is, as Peter says in 1 Peter, that judgment will begin with the house of God. And the reality is, as followers of Jesus, unless we are right with God, unless we are surrendered to King Jesus in our lives, that we have no right or authority to pray for our nation. You know, in the book of James, in the New Testament, uh, James is writing to a group of Christ followers. But these are Christ followers who have lost their weight. They're more like their culture than like Christ. They're more like the world than the kingdom. You remember early in this series, we talked about the three big enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. What we'll see in this passage is that they had been deceived and were following all three. And so James says to these believers, he says, you adulterous people. So he compares them to like spiritually adultery. They're not being faithful to their first love. He said, don't you know that friendship with the world, or the world, the flesh, and the devil, that friendship with the world means enmity, becoming an enemy against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend with the world has become an enemy of God. And so now a few verses later, he says, so this is what you need to do. This is what repentance looks like. He says, first of all, you need to submit yourselves to God. So the first step of repentance is always coming under his leadership. Without a surrender to his leadership, there is no repentance. The first step is always submitting ourselves. God, is there anything in my life that's out of alignment with you? In my heart, in my attitudes, in my actions, in my habits, is there anything in my life that is out of alignment? And if so, I want to submit to you as my king, my resurrected king. He says, that's the first step. He says, but the next step of repentance is to resist the devil. Remember, we're talking about the world, the flesh, and the devil. We've seen them giving into the world. But he says, now it's time to resist the devil. But here's the thing. It's impossible for us to resist the devil in our life if we've not yet submitted to God. This is often what we try to do. We try to resist the temptation without really surrendering our life to his leadership, and it never works. So he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Remember Jesus in the wilderness, 40 days, and at the end, the enemy came, three big temptations. But when Jesus stood his ground, the enemy left till a more opportune time. And then he, got, he says the third step, we're gonna resist, we're, so we're gonna submit to God, we're gonna resist the devil. The third step is to come near to God in this beautiful promise that he will come near to you, but only after submission and resistance. He says, wash your hands. He uses Old Testament language. Wash your hands, you sinners. This is a way of talking about repentance, of getting rid of the evil in our life. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Kind of one foot in the kingdom, one foot in the world. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And so what we wanna do in this month of fasting and prayers, we wanna come before the Lord on behalf of our nation. 
We want to ask for mercy. We want to ask for righteousness to raise up godly leaders to, most of all, to send a spirit of repentance to our land where we would turn to him so we could be restored and healed. But catch this, it has to start with us. And so during this month, I'm gonna challenge you that as we come before the Lord, that you in your own personal life, that you will come before Jesus and say, Jesus, is there anything in my life, is there any area in my life where I am listening to the world? I'm more like the world than I am like the kingdom, like, like your, your kingdom. Uh, there's any area in my life where I'm surrendering to the flesh instead of, your, instead of your spirit? Is there any area where I'm listening and following the devil, not your spirit? And as we come before him as a church of fasting and prayer, we're gonna ask the Lord to speak and to stir our hearts to a genuine revival, that God would pour out his spirit in our lives in an unprecedented way as a church to prepare us to unleash this movement of passionate Christ followers in an unprecedented time in unprecedented ways. The third word, the third word, the third key priority that we are going to be seeking the Lord for is unity. I don't know about you, but I've never seen a time in our nation's history, the only other time I can begin to compare would be the late 60s and the early 70s. I realize many of you weren't alive then, but that's the, uh, the advantage of getting old. Uh, but I don't think I've ever seen a time of greater polarization. I've never seen a time of greater anger, of greater hatred, of bitterness, of name-calling, of divisiveness, it doesn't matter where you go. It's like there's no middle ground. There's no ability to discuss. There's no ability to have rational debate. We live in a cancel culture. If I don't like what you're saying, I'm just going to attack you and trying to erase you out. It's not even about truth. It's just about winning. And it's not about one side or the other. This is just the way our culture is becoming. And what distresses me so much is that as I look at the church of Jesus, as I watch our posts on social media, I feel like the church is reflecting the culture instead of the culture being impacted by the church. You see the sort of bitterness and division and divisiveness and name-calling and attacking that's existing in the church of Jesus around issues like COVID or social distancing or wearing a mask or when churches should open. It's just unbelievable. And what we see in the New Testament is that Jesus was very clear with us what his top priority is for us as followers of Jesus, as followers, especially in these secondary areas where there's kind of good reasons on both sides to, to have an opinion. And in John chapter 15, this was on the last night that Jesus was with his disciples before he was arrested. He said after dinner, remember after washing their feet, this, this sign of humility, he said in John 15, a new command I give you. This is the new command to guide your path as you lead this movement, as you unleash a movement the passion of Christ. Here's the command to guide you. He said, love one another. As I have loved you, 
right? Humility, washing your feet, putting your needs above my own, putting up with all of your, your immaturity. He says, so you must love one another. And he said, catch this, by this, by this love, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one. This will be the, the badge, the mark that you're truly a follower of Jesus. You love one another. A couple chapters later, Jesus is, is now praying a very famous prayer, the high priestly prayer right before he's arrested. And he's praying to his father. And what he's praying for is that God would create this beautiful unity among the new community of Jesus' followers. And what he says is this unity with the father and the son would be the ultimate proof to the world that Jesus is who he claims to be and that we belong to him. Look what he says. He says, I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, through the message of the apostles. So Jesus is praying for you and I back then. He says, I'm not just praying for my men right now. I'm praying for those who will come to believe through their message. And that would include you and I. He said that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me so that, they may, um, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought, catch us, to complete unity. And then look what happened. And then the world will know, this will be the sign, that you sent me and that I have loved them as you have loved me. Jesus says that, that it's, it's, it's the unity in the body, this new community, that will show the world with great power that Jesus is who he claimed to be and that we belong to him and that he loves us as we love him. And so Jesus says that his priority in the new community is that we love one another. Now, we've talked about this a lot in the past, this difference between primary issues and secondary issues, right? And what the New Testament teaches is in primary issues, who God is, who Jesus is, the path to salvation, the authority of the word, the core moral teaching of the New Testament. These are primary issues, and we're never to compromise on these. But on these secondary issues, where Christians who love Jesus and love his word disagree that we are to love and accept one another even when we think the other person is wrong. And catch us, we would be willing to give up our rights to love one another. And so when you see the church of Jesus dividing over secondary issues, when you see us taking pot shots, getting angry, bitter over secondary issues like social distancing, about how dangerous COVID is, about whether it's dangerous or not, um, about wearing of masks, of a wind church's show. When you see the church of Jesus getting angry and sniping and attacking at one another, can I tell you something? Satan is having a field day. 
because this has always been one of his primary weapons of spiritual warfare to try to sow disunity among the followers of Jesus on secondary issues. And while we are fighting one another, the church is going, the, the world is going to hell. And so men and women, it's time for us to rise up, to be who we are, to rise above these things and say, hey, we might not always agree on this, but we are gonna pray for the unity of the body of Christ. And we're gonna pray for our unity here at Rocky Peak, that we would love and accept one another even if we see things different and we would never divide the body of Christ over a mask. You know, it's interesting, later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul's talking about this. In fact, it's in the same letter that we're studying in Ephesians about spiritual warfare. And earlier in the letter, in chapter four, he says this is what it looks like to live a life that's worthy of the Lord and this high epic calling that God has in your life. And there you know, I want you to see what he says. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. So what does that look like to live a life worthy of this high, incredible calling? He says, well, here's the character quality. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Let me ask you something. Who do you have to be patient with? Is it people that see things your way? People that never do you wrong, never disappoint you? Of course not. When you're around those kinds of people, it's easy. We don't have to be patient except with people that frustrate us, people that irritate us, people we think are wrong, people that see things differently. He goes on bearing with one another in love. Who do you have to bear with in love? You bear with people that are irritating or let you doubt. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it looks like that we love one another, we're humble, we're gentle, we may see things differently, we will bear with one another in love. And then catch this, he says, make every effort, top priority, to keep the unity of the Holy Spirit through the bond of peace. He says, followers of Jesus, like remember what, remember what Dre said last week? As followers of Jesus, our core identity is peacemakers. And so in this season, like, are you pursuing the peace? When you're posting online, when you're having your discussions about these controversial topics, are you promoting peace in the body or are you sowing division? Paul says we need to make every effort Top priority, to keep, to preserve the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And then he says, now, he says, here's what's important. And he's gonna give us seven marks, seven primary issues that we share with all other believers. If you're a follower of Jesus, we all share these seven primary things. He says, there's one body, there's one new community of King Jesus. There's one spirit, one Holy Spirit that unites us all together. Just as you are called to one hope, the future of the next life. That's what he's talking about, this hope of the next life. We all share that common future. One Lord, there's one king in our lives. We all bow the knee to the same king. There's one faith, these core ingredients of the faith that we believe, these primary issues about Jesus. 
There's one baptism. We've all gone through this initiation rite into the body of Christ. And finally, there's one God and Father of us all who's overall and through all and in all. We're all part of the same family. And so Paul says, yeah, there's gonna be people that irritate. You're gonna see differently. He says, but do everything you can to preserve the unity of the body of Christ in the bond of peace. And so in this, this month, we're gonna pursue God. We're gonna pursue God for the unity of the body of Christ, whether it's here around the world or here at Rocky Peak. And then number four, the fourth uh, thing we wanna, pr- pri- prayer priority, wanna pursue God is for the kingdom. You know, Jesus said that as followers of his, that our first priority, he said they seek first the kingdom of God. Wherever you are, whatever season of your life, whatever situation, job, home, whatever, you always seek first the kingdom, to advance the kingdom. Now, I don't know if you know this, but studies have shown this, that when they, they do studies and research of when do people come to Christ? How do people come to Christ? When does conversion happen? And it's interesting because a lot of people, a high percentage of people come to Jesus during times of crisis, during times of change, during times even of chaos. Um, Sometimes it could be positive change, sometimes it's hard change. It could be moving to a new city, you don't know anyone, moving to a new country, immigrating. That's often, uh, often a time people can come to Christ if they have opportunity. Uh, The birth of a new baby, you know, that you, you now you're, you're a young couple and you have your first child and you realize like, oh man, we gotta figure out what, what, how we're gonna raise this child and suddenly it opens you up to spiritual truth and, and a, new, a new level of seeking. Sometimes it can go a, a tragic loss, a loss of a job, loss of a loved one, a health situation, but, but something happens that, that upsets the apple cart of our life and in that time of transition, we are suddenly open. You see that right now. You see it right now with the, the rise of suicide, the increased anxiety, the fear. People are looking for answers. And many people, not all, but many people are open to discussions about Jesus they would not have at another time. And I truly believe this is a kingdom opportunity and we need to be seeking the Lord and praying that he would bring many people into his kingdom and then asking him, how do we as a church unleash a movement and capitalize? We don't wanna waste this crisis. We wanna make the most of this crisis for his kingdom. You know, it's interesting. um, There's a famous story about Jesus in John chapter four where Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at a well and shares with her about living water. But after he sends her back to the town, she's so excited, she thinks, I think I might have found the Messiah. She goes back into town to tell the Samaritans and they're all gonna come out. These men come back from lunch. They, they, they kind of went to Burger King, got some things to share for lunch. And so it's like, hey, well, I got some food here. For, we got you your food. And he says, I've got food to eat you don't know about. He says, my food is to do the will of the Father, the one who sent me. And then he, he ta- starts talking to him. He says, what you're, this is an incredible opportunity. What you're about to see here is an incredible kingdom opportunity. And while you're focused on lunch, you're missing the harvest. They had a famous saying in that day, and they would say four months until the harvest. In four months, it'd be the harvest. In other words, it's not, it's not time yet, but in four months, you know, the situation will change. And Jesus quoted that. 
And he said, you know what? You're looking for the kingdom to happen in the future, four months. It's happening right now. And about that time, they're coming back. The whole town's coming out. They're checking out Jesus. They're so open to his message. They're in your note sheet. This is what Jesus says in that context. He says, I, he says to his men, he said, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life. Jesus says, you're missing it. It's right in front of your eyes. You're thinking four months off, the kingdom's coming in the future. It's like, no, it's right here right now. And, and I wonder how many of us can relate to that, that during this time of COVID, we've kind of put our life on hold. We're waiting for the next month. We're waiting for the next phase. We're waiting for the next thing to change. And we're just kind of in a hovering pattern, just trying to hold our life together. But I really believe Jesus is calling us on. Hey, don't say four months and then the harvest. Like, this is the time for the harvest right now. What does it look like to join with Jesus in his mission to draw people to himself? I, I believe that 10 years from now, we'll look back and that many people, sort of like in the Jesus movement days, that many people will say, it was during that time of the crisis of COVID, I came to Christ. I was looking for answers. I'd lost my job. I was afraid over here. There was this anxiety and I was just more open and I had some friends and they invited me to an online service. So they invited me to the church. I had a, a friend at work and we began to have a conversation and, and Jesus used that to draw me to himself. And so in this season, we want to be praying and fasting and worshiping and seeking God for the advance of his kingdom. And specifically, what does that look like here at Rocky Peak? How do we participate? <clears throat> so these are the four top prayer priorities, at least as we start the month. There may be more that come. We want to pray for God's direction for our, for our church, not just in opening up when, how, where, that sort of thing, but but. How do we unleash a movement as we're in this new season with new circumstances? Number two, for repentance, for God's mercy in our nation, but also that that would start with us. And that if we have one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom, that we would come back, that we would submit to God, resist the devil, draw near to God this month, and he would draw near to us. Number three, for unity, that we move beyond these secondary issues. We remember the big things that are most important and that we would be a church that's united and help the Christian community be united. And number four, that we be joining with Jesus for the advance of his kingdom. Now, let's talk about practically how this is gonna work. We've talked about August Unleash, but let's talk about how we're going to pursue God with worship prayer, and fasting. So there in your note sheet, you have a section called August Unleashed Worship, Prayer, and Fasting. So we just read in James that we need to submit to God. And the question is, you know, how are we going to do that? When it says come near to God, he'll come near to you. So how are we going to do that? Well, let's talk about fasting for a minute. I think most of us understand kind of worship. We understand prayer more, but let's talk about this fasting component for just a minute. Um, what we see in the Bible, and we just saw an example of this from Joel 1 and 2, is that fasting is a way to supercharge our pursuit of God. Uh, it's, a, it's a way of really pursuing God with a increased intensity during times of special need. 
Sometimes those times of special need might be crisis, like when, when Esther asked the nation to pray for her before she put her life on the line to go and stand before the king. Uh, sometimes it's time of preparation for ministry, like when in spiritual warfare, like when Jesus fasted for 40 days before he started his ministry. Uh, sometimes it's time of direction, where we're seeking God's direction in some area of our lives. Uh, great example of that. You know, we started the day, we started the day with a story of um, this, uh, this, this man who's trying to go to sleep. You know, it's late at night. Uh, he's got a big day the next day. So he's, he's gotten to bed early, but you know, if you've ever done that, you know how this works, you toss and turn. His mind's going back to this, this friendship with this, one of his best friends that started so many years ago, developed along the way, but now they've been tasked with this new assignment that he knows is gonna be exciting, but also dangerous, not sure where it's gonna go. This is actually kind of my version of a count uh, happens in the book of Acts that involves two of the key leaders of the early church. One was Barnabas, and the other was his friend, one of his best friends named Saul, Saul of Tarsus. We also know him as Paul of Paul the Apostle. And so th these two men had met years before, uh, soon after Saul had come to Christ, and uh, many people were skeptical about his conversion since he'd been a persecuted church, but Barnabas kind of vetted him and stood up for him, and they became very good friends, and years later, Barnabas recruited him to come to the major city of Antioch to help lead the movement of Jesus there. And so as the scene unfolds, we're told that there are five prophets and teachers, five leaders of the church of this kind of major city of Antioch that are gathering like we're gathering for prayer, for worship, and fasting. And in that context, God's gonna speak. So we don't really know why they were meeting or how long they've been meeting, but it would seem like they were seeking God for direction because that's what the Holy Spirit gave them. But here's how Luke describes it. He says, in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, and he's gonna give us the five names now. There was Barnabas, we just talked about him. Simeon called Niger, Niger means black, so very, uh, very likely a black leader, black pastor in the church. Uh, Lucius of Cyrene, Cyrene's in Africa, may also have been a black man, we're not sure. Uh, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and then Saul, who we will know later as Paul. And catch this, while they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, this is what we're gonna be doing. While they're seeking the Lord, pursuing the Lord, we're not sure what, perhaps for direction, but they're worshiping the Lord, they're fasting, that the Holy Spirit spoke, uh, very likely through a word of prophecy, since they were prophets. And this is what he said, set aside Barnabas and Saul, two of the top uh, church leaders, for the work to which I have called them. Now I want you to catch something here. These leaders were not coming up with a vision for their church and praying that God would carry it out. These leaders are fasting and praying, worshiping the Lord, and they're seeking God for his vision. And it's in that context that the Holy Spirit speaks and says, take two of your top leaders and send them out on this new adventure, this new mission, to share Jesus with the Roman world. It's the first time Paul and Barnabas are gonna do this. It becomes the first of three what we call Paul's missionary journeys. I like to call them the his Jesus-sharing expeditions. And these three journeys are gonna change the course of history because not only is he gonna share Christ and churches be born, but the letters of our New Testament that he writes are to these churches that he starts. 
in these series of journeys. And so what you see that in the Bible is that fasting is a way of supercharging our pursuit of God in times of crisis, when you need God's intervention, times of preparation for future ministry, in times where you need direction, and so on. And so this is how it's going to work, that we're going to meet together this month 12 times in the next four weeks. As Dre shared earlier, three times a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, seven to nine, every, uh, every Tuesday and Thursday for four weeks. Now, these first three are going to be what we call an encounter service, where we, we, we combine worship, prayer, a little bit of teaching uh, together as we seek the Lord. Now, we're having three of these encounters, and the reason is we want to have plenty of room for appropriate level of social distancing. Now, I want to talk to you for a second about social distancing. That uh, I understand that within our church, within our culture, there's a wide variety of opinions about how dangerous COVID is and therefore how appropriate it is to practice social distancing to wear masks and so on. And I know that even in our church, there's a wide variety. And I've got to tell you, that if you kind of put relaxed on one side and more concerned on the other, there's no question I would tend to be more towards the relaxed side. Uh, which doesn't mean I'm right, by the way. It's just, it's just uh, where, where I'm at. But what we see in Scripture, going back to these kinds of issues that are kind of secondary issues, what we see over and over is we're told in these secondary issues that we're to love and respect one another um, even if we think the other person is wrong, and catch this, that we're even willing, because of love, to give up our rights. You know, in the early church, they didn't fight about COVID. What they fought about were things like eating meat sacrificed to idols. And of course, looking back, you can understand this, right? Because these people are deeply involved in idol worship and idolatry, all that went. And so when they came to Jesus, there were some who felt like, hey, I think it's fine to go to the meat market and buy meat that's been sacrificed to an idol. There's nothing wrong with the meat. There's no like demons in the meat. But there were other Christians who said, oh no, that's been devoted to an idol. It's been devoted to demonic. And so we shouldn't have anything to do with it. And they had strong opinions. And here's what the apostle Paul said. Like in 1 Corinthians 8, he said, you know, in these issues, it's really okay to eat the meat. He said, but if, if it really, if this trips up your brother or sister in Christ, that for them, they see you eating the meat and it causes them to have a breach in your relationship or it causes them to violate their conscience and eat the meat, which for them would be wrong. He said that you have just destroyed your brother for the sake of food. So he said, so so this is what love does. You are willing to limit yourself and give up your rights for the sake of love. And he said, this is the mark of true spiritual maturity. And you know, in our body, there are such differences of opinion. I've heard some people say, hey, if, it, if it, we have to wear a mask to come down, I'm not wearing it. I'm not even coming. I'm not going to seek the Lord. I'm not going to pray because I'm not wearing a mask. On the other hand, 
We've had so many emails from people saying, are you really sure you're gonna do social distancing? Are you sure you're gonna do this? Because I'm really concerned about coming. The two different sides of the spectrum. And so as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are going to practice social distancing, not only to create a safe environment, but to create a place that feels safe to everyone, that creates a place where people can come and those that are more concerned can feel confident and enter into worship and seek the Lord um, from a place of confidence. And I'll tell you, um, I think this is a mark of maturity right, a mark of maturity for us as a church that we'd be willing to say, hey, I may be on this side, I may be on that side, but I love my brothers and sisters in Christ and even if I think they're wrong, even if I think they're being crazy stupid not to wear a mask, like, they don't even think this thing's serious or if on the other side, that I can't believe these people are so afraid that we would rise above this that we would love Jesus, that we would pursue him, we pursue the unity of the body, and we would love and accept one another even if we think we're wrong. And here's the crazy thing. Men and women, we're in a series on spiritual warfare. Well, right now, what we don't realize is right in our own body, that spiritual battle is often raging. And while we're standing up and defending our point of view and why we're right either on this side or that side and why others are idiots, Satan is laughing because he has destroyed the unity of the body, the witness, and he's preventing us from pursuing God in a direction together. So I just want to challenge you, wherever you're at on this, you would embrace the law of love. You would choose to rise above your personal opinion. You would hold it with conviction we would discuss it and we could disagree and have good discussion. We could be a model of dialogue to the world, but that we would love and accept one another and put the unity of the body and the kingdom of God against our personal rights and privileges. Now, having said that, so when you come together, you know, we're gonna, ha- we're gonna ask you to sign up to come. That's primarily for us so we know how many are coming so we can limit the gathering to have a pro, uh, distancing. And uh, we'll have some protocol. You can read about that in the registration page as you go on so you know what to expect. And so we'll have these uh, three encounters. They're kind of designed for you to come one night, but if you want to come more, you can. But they're designed to come one. They'll be the same program all three nights. But then in the three subsequent weeks, we'll be having three nights a week of worship and prayer. And these will be a combination where we'll come do a little bit of worship together, but then we're gonna have a variety of types of prayer. We'll pray together in a large group, pray in some small groups, do some prayer walks and go off and pray by yourself. We're gonna give you a lot of options. We just wanna be seeking the Lord together for these four, uh, four things. Now, you're welcome to come to those as many as you want. We love you here. And here's what I'd ask, is that if you call Rocky Peak home, Uh, if you want to pursue the Lord with us, that you would come at least once a week for the next four weeks during this month. Now, we realize that for some of you that you may have uh, health concerns, maybe it's your age, maybe underlying conditions, Um, maybe you live with someone that you want to be super protected. We understand that. So we would love on these first three encounter nights to live stream them, but since they're outside, we don't have the capacity to do that. 
But on Wednesday night via our social media, we're gonna be giving you live updates throughout the evening, giving you some of what's happening and then also calling you to pray with, pray with us at key times. And so watch for that on our website this week. And then uh, last thing I wanna talk about is this fasting. What does it look like to enter into a month of fasting? So this month, I'm gonna continue my pattern of fasting twice a week. I'll start at six o'clock on a Monday night. That's how I, how I like to do it, or I'm doing a one-day fast. Six o'clock on Monday night to six o'clock Tuesday night. And then I'll fast from six o'clock Wednesday night to six o'clock Thursday night. And here's what I'd asking is that during this month, that you would consider, you'd pray about fasting with me just one day a week. It could be either of those days, that'd be awesome, but maybe it's another day, it works better for you, that's fine. And all I'm asking you is go before the Lord. Remember my rule, I only fast if God calls me. So I, I wanna give you that same freedom that I'd just ask you to go before the Lord and ask, you, ask him what he wants you to do. And if he says no fasting, then you know that's the way it goes. But I just encourage you to go before him and then invite you to join me with that one day a week. Now, if you've never fasted before, it's super simple. You just drink water and stop eating. Super simple, right? So it's not very hard. It's, it's very safe. Uh, the, if you're a health, kind of a normal person in terms of health, you know, you can fast for several days, no problem. If you do have health concerns, you know, check it out uh, with, your, uh, with your doctor. But it's just a beautiful way to pursue God together. And if you're new at this whole fasting thing, uh, what I'd suggest is uh, that uh, uh, after our Sunday service this weekend at 11, at, uh, at, at one o'clock on Sunday, we're gonna be posting an interview I did with Krista Estrada, who's our social media uh, person that we did this week, like a 20, 30 minute interview, just on that very casual about fasting, why we do it, how to do it, how to approach it, how to deal with hunger. The most important thing I'd say if you don't watch that is just make sure you stay Great, highly hydrated. That will help with your energy. It'll help with the hunger, right? So, so here we go. So as a church, we're kicking off a month. We're gonna pursue God together. We're gonna pursue him with worship. We're gonna pursue him with prayer. We're gonna pursue him with fasting. We're gonna ask him for these four things, for direction for our future, for repentance for our nation that starts with us, with unity in the body, and for the growth and advancement of his kingdom. And so I wanna invite you to join me as together as a church, we proclaim a high and a holy fast and we go before the Lord on behalf of our church, on behalf of our country, and behalf on his kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, we're just so thankful to be here and we're so thankful for your leadership, for the leadership of the Holy Spirit that over the years you've been so faithful to lead us in times like this and we're so thankful, God, that when it comes to your church that we don't have to create a vision and then ask you to bless it, that we can come to you and seek you for your vision. We thank you for your faithfulness over the year, God. And so we just pray for that this will be a month of awakening, awakening for us, awakening for our church and awakening for our nation. And that because we're seeking you, that in the unseen realm, that we would make tremendous progress for our church, for our kingdom, and our culture. We pray this in your name. And everyone said, amen.